Podcast episode 31. I got the legendary hip hop cultured visual artist, curator, and entrepreneur Co Rodriguez in the building. Fat shout outs, 40 thugs, Queen's finest. Yeah, you already know. Shout out. ATW, a thousand words, Jersey City, New Jersey, yeah. Co Rodriguez, welcome to the J40 podcast. It's an honor and a privilege. Thank you for inviting me over to your beautiful home. Uh, Damn, man, you have a wonderful place here. Uh, great looking office. Um, I'm excited to jump right into the creation of uh, ATW. So uh, let's get this thing started, man. Thank you for having me, brother. It's good to build with you. Um, yeah, man, ATW is sort of an extension of something I've been doing for years. I, I got into visual arts very early on. Um, I want to say late 70s. Wow. Getting into hip hop. You know, trying to become a graffiti artist, a young toy back then, right? But it was sort of a platform for me to do other things in the graphic field, um, you know, getting into design, you know, um, opening up a t-shirt business with some other people in the mid-90s. So, Is that still a thing today? Like, you know, the, the, the apparel? Yeah, so, so I cut my teeth on designing apparel in the mid-90s. Wow. I'm talking about I'm 25. Um, I'm still an active graffiti writer, more or less. Um, and I got together with some like-minded individuals that were like partners, other graph writers in Jersey City. We opened a spot called Basement Graphics. Wow. The idea was to create a silkscreen business, um, you know, graphic design studio. It was a huge space that we had on Christopher Columbus Drive in Jersey City. And that's really where we, you know, got into design and creating original apparel. So, you know, uh, me flirting with apparel started back in the mid-90s and um, just off and on throughout the 2000s. But by the time I want to say 2013 came about, I had already designed a bunch of stuff for different brands. And I was like, let me just revisit it. So I launched um, ATW, which stands for a thousand words, yeah. which is really the old adage, a picture's worth a thousand words. And I named it that because I work primarily in visual art. Yeah. You know, a lot of photography, uh, representing a lot of OG photographers. So um, I thought the name was was uh, right on, it was, it was, on, it was on, uh, on point because of what I was creating. I was creating a lot of tees with, you know, iconic images on it. So um, that's when that whole thing started, 2013. We're still around. We sell T-shirts globally. Um, been doing it for over a decade. And it's just one of the companies that I own. Wow. And and also, um, 
you're, you're also aside from 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 visual arts, you're also a writer. Like you you're, you you write. Like yeah, not just graffiti. Right. I'm t- I'm actually speaking about like you write. Like yeah, you, like, true. So how, can you take me through that process and how how that got you to uh, to create the formation of uh, ATW? Yeah, so ATW is totally different from um, things that I've done in the past as a photojournalist. Yeah. Um, around the time that I was doing Basement Graphics, the company I just mentioned, I was also um, embracing this new company that a friend of mine from the Bronx started. Um, this guy was an ex-gun runner who turned his life around. Wow. He's an excellent writer. Um, and he started publishing a hip-hop newspaper called Rec. Wow. W-R-E-C-K in New York. It was a free publication. You can go to places like Astor Place and pick up a copy. It was all over New York. I saw it. Um, I thought highly of it. I said, I want to get down with this thing. I approached my man who was working at a Kinko's in Midtown Manhattan. And um, I told him, look, I like what you're doing. Um, I want to get down with this thing. And I eventually became a partner. We partnered up. Yeah, and we started co-publishing this this publication, his idea was to create sort of a hip hop version of the village voice. That was his goal. He wanted to create the village voice, but sort of a hip hop version of it. So anyway, we changed the name. We had to change it because of rec records in New York. Mm. It's a conflict of interest. We called it no doubt. We got an official publishing deal. We are on 10,000 newsstands throughout metropolitan New York, parts of Jersey and Connecticut. And by way of that, publication, I was embracing writing something that I had, you know, fancied, as they would say, for a very long time, going back to as a kid, when I was a kid. So um, I started, you know, writing articles, man, you know, writing stories for No Doubt. Uh, My first piece was on the Cold Crush Brothers. Wow. Really dope. And I got major props for it. Yeah. Um, In my office, you'll see um, a letter from Interview Magazine that I framed at the time, Eric Berman was like the editor of Interview Magazine, for those that don't know. Yeah. That's Andy Warhol's publication that he started years ago. So this guy, Eric Berman, sees my, uh, he sees No Doubt on the newsstands. And he's like, I thought a dollar was a lot for it, for, you know, for a thin publication, but I picked it up because it had something to do with hip hop. And he was blown away. He was blown away by the uh, piece that I did on the Cold Crush Brothers. And he wrote me that letter, man. And he said it was the best piece that he had ever, you know, read on hip hop culture. And this is coming from an editor of a national magazine that, um, because I never considered myself a writer. I was just like, look, I know how to, you know, write. But to receive such an accomplishment, you know, an esteemed person of that stature to give you that compliment. That's He he took the time out to write us a letter. Wow. Not an email, like a letter on a typewriter. Handwritten, right? Well, no, it was typed typed, up, yeah, and he just mailed it to us, and I was blown away because I was, like, really my first time writing an article for anyone to see. That was the universe sending you a message, too. Yeah, so, yeah, man, I was like, okay, I guess I can do this writing thing, and it was just part of the job. You have to understand we're owners. We're we're trying to, you know, do all the day-to-day to to keep the uh, publication alive, but, you know, we were short-staffed, and, you know, if there was an interview to be done, I would do it. I did another famous interview with Jay-Z back in, shit, I want to say the spring of 95, 96. Wow. It was right before right Reasonable before Doubt came out. Right he just said, boom. Yeah, it was actually four <laughs> months before Reasonable Doubt came wow. out. 
Um, it was really dope. And I Another still have Another iconic it. album. I mean, yeah. that was crazy. So, yeah, I did a lot of writing. I still write, man. I mean, um, anytime I do a post on social media, I don't just post anything. I yeah. think about what I write. I know the world is watching. Yeah. So um, I'm very conscious about, you know, the things I say and how I say them. So, um, yeah. Yeah, because now you're on a different, you're, you're, on a, you're on a world stage now where, yeah, like you said, everybody's no watching, everybody's listening. No doubt, man. So, yeah, I've always been writing, um, not just graph, you know. Um, you know, I just uh, hammered out two projects. I landed a deal. I can't really tell you who is with. It's an OG in hip-hop. Nice. He's a he's a goat, but I just good things a, coming. Yeah, I just Great I just coming. did a deal with him and his company, um, and we're going to be doing two big projects on the golden era of hip hop. Beautiful. I'm coming on board as an executive producer. God willing, I'll be writing for that as well. Awesome. And I may have a bit part, hopefully, as well. Um, I'll you know, be looking out for that. Thank you, man. We're in development. Um, you know, uh, the writer's strike is holding us back right now. The whole thing with SAG and WGA, we can't really crazy. It's been like five months already. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm hoping it's gonna be over soon, man. People need to get back to yeah. work and make money. I got a couple of buddies who uh, drive semi trucks for for a lot of these film um, companies oh, and yeah. stuff, and yeah. those guys are out of work right now. So it's, yeah, it's pretty wild. I wanted to ask you. Uh, 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 you wrote something. I think it's called. And then there was crack. Yeah, this was an afterword I did for my yeah. good friend, one of my mentors from Brooklyn, um, Jamel Shabazz. Um, Jamel is a documentary photographer. He's considered the Gordon Parks of our era, man. Wow. He's an incredible human being, not just a talented photographer. And he asked me back in 2005 if I would loan my voice to this book that he was doing called The Time Before Crack. And the uh, idea behind the book was to kind of show New York City, uh, primarily Brooklyn, where he was born and raised, before the crack epidemic. Yeah. And it was a really dope concept um, just to show people, you know, in beautiful form before the pestilence came. And um, I said, I would love to be down with this project, man. And, you know, he said, I just want you to write something about, you know, uh, crack cocaine what you remember about it, you know? And I said, you know, I was an eyewitness back then. Um, you know, I remember being in Washington Heights, I think it was 85, 86. Wow. I was calling with one of my homeboys who was Dominican. I was on 160 something in Broadway. Wow, right in the heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somebody was like, Jumbo, Jumbo. And I was like, what is this? You know, like, that's what, what they were jumbo? calling crack back then? Yeah, yeah. You know, Jumbos became real popular. They were the big vials that they I think, for like 10 bucks or whatever. Jesus. But I didn't know what it was. You know, yeah. I was like, what is this guy, you know, saying and what is he selling? And then I would find out shortly at, uh, thereafter that was crack. Wow. And then it just started really blowing up. So, you know, my piece, my afterword in his book was based on being an eyewitness to that, you know, um, urban genocide. That's really what crack was, was yeah. urban genocide, man. It destroyed no fewer than two generations of black and brown people. Absolutely. Um, and I just wanted to write about it, man, from the heart. Um, was the, that article called And Then There Was Crack, or was it called? It, it wasn't an article. It was an afterword. Oh, yeah, so okay. The, it was in a book called A Time Before Crack. Ah, okay, okay. So okay. it's an afterword in that particular book, and it was all of two pages, but it... it impacted a lot of people that read it. Yeah. Um, so much so that I was uh, invited to speak in a, a movie on crack. Wow. That's on Netflix now. 
um, by Stanley Nelson, who's a legendary Harlem director. What's so the name of this film? I want to see this. It's called Crack, Conspiracy, and Corruption. Definitely um, watching this this week. Yeah, it's a dope flick. It came out two years ago. It was on Netflix, and um, I was asked to speak on the subject matter again. But it was really based on the afterword that I did in Jamel's book. So, um, you know, listen, I don't claim to be an authority. You know, I'm just someone that's an eyewitness. I was there. Yeah. Unfortunately, I know people that were strung out off that, you know, horrible drug. Families that were affected. Right. So Friends. That, yeah. yeah. It, it runs the gamut. I mean, look at the president's son right now. You know, Hunter Biden, you know, um, hmm. he's, he's in the hot seat because of his addiction to drugs. I mean, this guy was smoking crack himself, a privileged son of a sitting president. So, so yeah, man, I just speak on it because I feel like my voice can, can educate, you know, and, um, it's really about awareness, man. You know what I mean? So, so I was honored to be in, you know, that film by an Academy. I mean, he was up for an Oscar uh, a year ago for his documentary on Attica state prison. Wow. Um, he lost to quest love quest love did a dope documentary on a, a festival in Harlem, a concert. Um, so, so yeah, man, I was honored to be in that honored to have written in Jamel Shabazz's book. It's a great book. I think it's, it was just, uh, republished after like 12, 13 years being out of print. So, um, so yeah, man, good projects. I try to, you know, um, stay attached to anything that makes sense, but I'm real picky about the projects that I work with. They have to be things that I feel may, may be sort of what KRS one called edutainment. You know, they have to educate and entertain at the same time. And, you know, I was happy to be a part of those projects. And Cole Rodriguez LLC holds a lot of hats. You have a lot of stuff going on with that uh, LLC. Can you take me through some of the companies that you're involved in that you own, co-own? or? Right. <clears throat> so Cole Rodriguez LLC is based, it was basically set up to do a lot of my management. Um, I have, you know, management services that I offer to a lot of visual artists. I'll represent them when it comes to intellectual property. Um, what I do is really I take their iconic images and I find homes for them. So And it's also protecting them. Yeah, well, first of all, it's the business component. So it's it's putting their imagery in films, TV projects. I mean, putting it on apparel. Commercials, maybe. You know, yeah. I mean, whatever makes sense. Um, it has to be something that's respectful, something that's dope, you know. But um, I pretty much manage a lot of those archives for these people. These great individuals, they're all iconic legends, people like Joe Conzo, Jamel Shabazz, you know, um, Ernie Panicoli, Martha Cooper, Henry Chalfon. I've worked with them all. They're good friends. And, um, you know, I do a lot of uh, work with my lawyers in terms of settlements that we do with companies that infringe upon Mm. the intellectual property. So if there's a company that's using it without authorization, we go after these companies. And is that something that takes place quite, more, you know, often more than people would like to think? Yeah, man, it's 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 a problem because with the internet and social media, people think they can grab artwork, photos, and do whatever the hell they want. Use I mean, it in com- profit. Yeah, big companies have done it. I mean, mm. I've settled with billion dollar companies. Damn. Yeah. So, um, and this is in conjunction with the lawyers that I work with. So it it really is a problem. Um, one of my clients is Baron Claiborne. He shot famously the image of Biggie wow. with the crown on his it, head. I was going to say, that that yeah. iconic 
Yeah, um, it's in paint. my office. Well, that's actually yeah. a photo. That, that that that's beautiful, right? Yeah. So he gifted that to me. That's um, gorgeous. That's by Baron. He signed it. He gave it to me as a present, man. And, Frame uh, is beautiful. Everything. Yeah, thank you, gorgeous. man. But that image is probably one of the most stolen images in the world. It's everywhere. And um, I was happy to take him on as a client, and we just go after people all the time for stealing that image, man. So it's it's, it's a lot of money and um, you know intellectual property. And we help, you know, I help these guys police their imagery, the stuff that they, you know, hold dear to them, the most iconic and valuable images that they own, they own, you know, I help with that stuff. Um, so basically, Cole Rodriguez LLC is management, it's it's licensing, and it's special projects. I yeah. get called upon by a lot of companies to, uh, you know, do exhibitions, you know what I mean, um, you know, just be a part of functions and I don't know, tons of stuff come in. It uh, comes in all the time. This is Hip Hop 50. Um, and it's been this whole year. Happy anniversary to Hip Hop yeah, 50 years, world, man. World. Shit. Happy anniversary. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, man, there's always special projects rolling in, opportunities to work with big and small companies alike. Yeah. And it's a good deal, man. So that's that's basically what uh, my LLC does. It's separate from A Thousand Words, which is a, um, the apparel. It's a curated um, apparel and, um, you know, art brand, you know. Talk to me about this young lady named Martha. She, um, I think it's, uh, what is the article she wrote? A, a, a picture story or something like that? Which, which Martha? I know a bunch uh, of Martha. She takes a lot of uh, visual pictures for, for hip hop culture. Oh yeah. Martha Cooper. Yes. The, the Martha Cooper. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, I call her the queen of hip hop photography. So yeah. that's her image right behind me. Um, she gifted me that. That's a still photo from Graffiti Rock, which was a 1984 um, awesome. half-hour pilot for a show that was basically the hip-hop of Soul Train. Um, yeah. It didn't get past the pilot, unfortunately. Shout out to my man, Michael Holman. That was his baby. Um, the world just wasn't ready for it. Um, you're either too late or you're too early with projects. And I think he was too early with that. And um, funny side note is that Michael used to manage the New York City Breakers oh, back shit. in the day. Yeah, so um, he <laughs> wanted to introduce b-boying as an Olympic sport, and he wow. proposed this to the Olympic Committee back in like '84. Whoa! And they couldn't see it; they didn't understand it. Probably again, he was too early. The guy was just a vision. Now, was Rocksteady even formed? Were they even a, a yeah, deal they, back then? Yeah, yeah, they, oh, okay, they were around since the seventies. I was going to say because. You would think that it would be Rocksteady on the forefront, but... Well, here's the thing. Mike certainly knew Rocksteady crew. Um, everybody was all friends. It's just Mike decided to, you know, create this this other B-Boy crew. Gotcha. Out of a lot of well-known, you know, uh, breakers from New York. Powerful Pexter, you know, Little Lep. You know, just a, just a bunch of really talented dudes. My man, Mr. Wave. You know, so he created the New York City Breakers, and they did a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, man. they. I mean, they were on the news and everything. I they remember were all that everywhere, stuff. They were, brother. Yeah. They, they had a comic book. They had everything oh, popping back, and they were famously um, in Beat Street. And those comic books were, were were drawn by graffiti artists. Well, the one that they were in, I don't think graph writers drew that particular comic no? book. No, it was just one comic book mm, that they were okay, in. But okay. it was just an honor for them to even say that they had a comic book. But Mike tried to introduce b-boying to the Olympic Committee. That would have been amazing. They they weren't passed. they weren't ready for it. But um, next year, 
uh, b-boying will officially be a, uh, an Olympic sport. Wow, look at that. Look so, how many years later. Yeah, so Mike was definitely early, man. Hats off to that brother. Um, That's a major accomplishment. I think he planted the seed, and it yeah. just took like over 25, 30 years to, to manifest, man. You see people grow. from all over the world who are like, uh, you know, important figures in politics and stuff like that who get amazed by watching these these artists you know, because they're artists too. These these, these breakers, yeah, and it's yeah. amazing. Well, again, man, it took forty years for the Olympic Committee to see the vision, but yeah. you know, sometimes you just gotta wait a little bit, man. But it's just a testament to how powerful hip hop is. It's global as man. a culture. You know what Nobody I mean? Nobody thought back then that it would go this far, yeah, reach the heights yeah. that it's reached. Yeah, it's man. amazing. It's a it's a blessing. It's beautiful. Yeah, man. It's given our culture, you know, ways to live and support our families, things yeah, like that. No I mean, doubt. it's just it's a wonderful thing, man. So take me through the, let's go back in time. Okay. Young Cole Rodriguez, before you even thought that hip hop would be a thing in your life, what were you doing and how did you get into it? Right. So, you know, we grew up in the seventies, right? So we were all, you know, young, black and brown kids with a lot of energy, you know, inner city kids just looking to get into something, you know, seventies was pretty wild. So we were always looking to get into something, you know, some sort of adventure. Um, I was always into art. You know, I would always draw comic strips, you know, Beetle Bailey, whatever I could. That that was my thing back then. And when graffiti came around, right, it wasn't even really packaged yet as hip-hop, okay? I'm talking early 80s. So um, when graffiti came around, I gravitated towards it because... It was within my wheelhouse. It was art. It was exciting. It was raw. It was, it was funky. Colorful. And it was clandestine. You know, it was like this outlaw art. I knew cats were doing it, you know, under the cover of darkness, whether they were painting trains or just bombing it was streets. dangerous, too. Yeah, so that resonated with us, man. You know, again, we were the young and the restless. So I was like, yo, I like this. This is dope. I want to know how to do it. So I was just watching some of the older cats around the way do it, trying to pick up style and you know, try my hand at it. And I just started absorbing anything that had to do with hip hop, man. Um, when Wild Style came out in 83 and when Style Wars, the documentary came yeah. out, that's when I became fully immersed because I started understanding more of it as a, I started seeing it, it um, as being more of a culture. It wasn't just graph and b-boying. It was coming together, it was culminating as a true culture. And that's when I was like, yo, this is it. I want to be a part it's of this. It's a movement. I want to be a part of it. Yeah, we wanted to really, really be down with this thing, man. And, you know, guys like the Rocksteady crew are like heroes. These guys were Puerto Rican like us. And they were in movies. I remember seeing them in Flashdance, which celebrates its 40th anniversary yeah. this year. Awesome. Shout out to my man, Mr. Freeze and those guys. Um, yeah, man. So I was like, yo, this is it. We were trying to just find our voice. You know, and hip hop was a platform for us to really show who we were whether we were dancing creating art now were you a breaker music. yourself or i tried my hand at a few moves i wasn't as good as my brother my brother was like a master b-boy nice you know what i mean he was really really dope and i wasn't as good as him but um you know i was trying to do, i had my little moves that i would do you know my little signature hand glides <laughs> or floats or whatever 
that was the extent I of it. I used to do those whole things where we would pull out the cardboard, you know, yeah, in front man. of the train station but, so the people could no, throw us Leon, money. <laughs> we were, yeah, we were hustling. Yeah, I remember many Getting days. quarter waters and yeah. potato chips, you know, whatever, just we, to just get by and stuff. we to the mall and start b-boying and hustling for a few dollars. But art was really my calling, and I just started getting better and better with it. And um, I just stuck with it, man. I, were I, you like a... like? I'm, I'm sure you dealt with all sorts of black books and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Were you more comfortable with a pastel or were you more comfortable with spray canning your hand? Well, we all start as toys, right? We, we start with our little El Marcos and we're just trying to master our signature, you know, so that yeah. we can get up now. You yeah. know? So once you got your little tag, kind of master your signature. Now you start bombing, you get your name up so people know who you are. And then the natural progression is the art form. If that's really what you want to do, yeah. you want to just bomb, then you just bomb. But yeah. I wanted to be an artist. So I started learning style. I was going into the city from Jersey City. We, we do something called benching. We would go to a platform like 125th Street or up in the Bronx somewhere in East Tremont. And we literally just sit on a train station, watch the trains go by. We would watch style, pick up style. We would take photos. It was a big thing back then. You now, know? were you a piecer or more like no, a tag? No, I was, was a piecer. Yeah, I was painting. Nice. You know, I was doing pieces. Wow. Um, you know, because to me, bombing is just, it's, it's you know, yeah. it's only so much you can get from it. You know, I wanted to learn how to create those letter forms, you know, put the colors together, the 3D, the backgrounds, nice. the characters, get together with the crew, do productions. You know, I wanted to do all that shit. So I learned it, man. I, I learned it with my crew, learned it um, hanging out with people in the city, New York. And the visual artist was born. Yeah. So, so yeah, man, I just, again, um, humble student. I just wanted to learn. I wanted to know how to do it. But once you're in it, you're in it. And you just always want to be better. Um, we were tearing up the black books, everything. I still have all my black books. I was going to ask have, you. You must have a collection, right? I have everything, brother. Um, wow. I, I keep everything. Um I'm a collector. I'm a scholar now. You're a historian, Yeah, historian. Bro. So this this office is full of gems. Anywhere you look. I can see it, man. I see the boombox there with the Run DMC yeah, sticker on that's, it. That's an I see the one. iconic paintings and photos, the trains bombed, the World Trade Center classic Twin Tower photo there. Yeah, that's Beautiful, man. Cooper's photo. That's um, awesome, man. There's a frame on the wall with uh, some original kiss tapes that red alert sign for me. Love Kiss that. cards. Um, that boom box is from 83. It's an original. It's it beautiful, still man. works. You got a wonderful office yeah. and a beautiful home, man. Thank you, man. So Thank this is just me. to really, my, my pleasure, brother. This is, my whole thing is I want to stay surrounded by the culture. Yeah. So this is all just sort of me. Everywhere I look, I see something that reminds me. Even the movie posters, you know, yeah. the Warriors up there or, you know, you Scarface. Rocky yeah, 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 Rocky. You know, it's it's all a part. These are all like... It's like a time capsule. I feel like I'm in a time capsule right now that's reminding me of that era. Yeah, it's it's just, you know, it's a visual timeline. If really, if you look at it, it's sort of the uh, visual soundtrack to my life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All these images represent a, a, a component of my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know... I just want to be around it every day. Are your children, are, uh, are, are your children like teenagers? Are they adults already? Are they like young? No, I have two adult kids in their 30s, and I have a younger daughter. Um, my, my daughter, Sunshine, is be she'll be 13 okay. in December. Teenager, man. <laughs> yeah, she's going to her teens. Wow. And um, I'm just trying to really bring her up, you know, to understand um, the magnitude of our culture, yeah. how powerful our people are. You know, she's half Cuban and half Puerto Rican, you know, and I'm just trying to really bring her into the arts now. Yeah. Even if she doesn't choose to be an artist, 
But she'll know. I want her to have an understanding yeah. of who I am, uh, what I've done in the culture, and how beautiful our people are and how beautiful hip-hop culture is. Yeah. Um, it's allowed me to have a great lifestyle, you know, um, a sustainable business, two businesses, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm happy, man. I've been around the world. I've been a part of, you know, so many great projects and film and TV and books and magazines. And I just do it because I love doing it. But I'd be remiss not to, you know, um, you know, mention it because a lot of people don't get to do what they do for a living. And love what they I'm do. I'm sorry, they don't get to do what they love yeah. for a living. And I get up every day. I come in his office and. You know, I'm doing what I love doing. It's not even work. It's just me, you know, exercising my passion. That's right. And and your adult kids, um, how do they, I'm sure they know about your history. Yeah, Do they yeah. have any idea of the magnitude as to who you really are and what you are to the culture? Yeah, they know because they're in their 30s. Um, and I, even back then, I mean, I had my first kid when I was 18. Wow. You know, 1988, my son was born. Wow. And he would see all the spray cans because I was so actively bombing back then. And they saw a lot of what I was involved in. You know, I would take them to the Graffiti Hall of Fame in Spanish Harlem. I would show them what the art form was about. I'm like, you know, this is who I am. What about the museum in Florida? Oh, yeah, that's the uh, uh, Graffiti Museum. Um, a good friend of mine runs that. I you heard know, that place uh, is amazing. Yeah, so it, it's dope. It's a nice, it's one of the first real museums devoted to graffiti art. You know, um, it's in a great spot in Miami. You know, shout out to my man, Ket. You know, he's he's the um, brainchild of that particular, um, you know, uh, endeavor. And it's a, it's a dope spot that honors the culture, not just from New York, worldwide. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's part of a bigger plan now with museums to to really um, make sure that we have a dedicated home for hip hop culture, including um, the Universal Hip Hop Museum in the Bronx. I was just going to mention, yeah. Yeah, it's it's now being called the Hip Hop Museum, not Universal. I think. What do you think? They're no, well, they're rebranding it. Yeah. It was originally called the Universal Hip Hop Museum, but now it's being rebranded as the Hip Hop Museum. Do you think that's a better way to go? Yeah, I mean it's it's straightforward. Yeah, you know, um, shout out to my man Rocky Bucano. He's one of the directors up there. He's he's really the big guy, the head cheese, if you will, um, taking care of business, making sure that hip hop has a home for posterity. You know, the building is incredible. I haven't been. I have to make my way there, man. Yeah, I have to check it out. It's incredible, man. He gave me a hard hat tour. Wow. Uh, me and my man Riff One Seventy, iconic graffiti legend. He was nice enough to get nice enough to give us a tour of that particular building because it's a whole you know uh, structure, man. It's not just a museum; it's residential space. Wow. You know, um, I think it's commercial space as well as you know living space for a few people that'll be lucky enough to uh, you know live in that building. Yeah. But it's an incredible, um, you know, it's an it's an incredible endeavor that they're doing. I think it opens next year. Wow. Late twenty twenty four. I remember seeing a post of them. Shoving the uh, the shovel yeah, into the ground. Yeah, they were, they were breaking yeah, ground yeah. With, with everybody. Nas, Fat Show. Yeah, everybody. I saw that. It was a great day for hip hop. They broke ground on the uh, the building, and um, you know, like I said, man, it's it's coming to uh, life. It should be done by I want to say maybe this time next year. Mm. 
And it's exciting. It man. goes by quick. Yeah, it's, it's exciting that we will have an official home, you know. To, and rightfully so in the Bronx. Yeah. The I mean, birthplace it, of hip hop music. It I mean. started in the Bronx. Yeah. I mean, you know, it should be in the Bronx. Yeah. And I, I know there's another museum uh, dedicated to hip hop, you know, but. You know, uh, they got some stuff I hear in the city, like little mini, like, I guess, I don't know if you want to call them museums, but like attractions where you can see yeah. like the history of yeah, like they're, they're pop culture and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, here's what happens. There's a lot of special projects that happen with hip hop and it's not just tied into the big 50th this year. Just in general, everyone's always trying to honor hip hop culture. Um, we've done a few exhibitions over the years honoring uh, sneaker culture you know, in hip hop, you know, I was in a movie called Just for Kicks, which was really the first documentary ever done on sneaker culture. Wow. This is 2005. So I was honored to be in that movie. What so, platform can we catch that on? That's anywhere. So I can um, catch it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, or... I mean, it, it's it's out there. I got to check that out. Yeah, it's a dope film. Um, shout out to my man T-Bow. He's a French director. He created this film. Everybody was in it, man. And you're like a big sneakerhead, am I right? Um, I've, I've, I've always been down with kicks. Um, I'm not a big sneakerhead in the respect that, um, I buy a shitload of kicks. Like, you know, but you like, got a lot of stuff from the past that you probably yeah, like keep I, boxed up and yeah, I probably got, don't even wear. Yeah. I got a ton of stuff. I mean, I, I've worked with all the brands over the years, Nike, Puma, Adidas, you know, I was honored to be able to I work noticed with that them. on the, on your list of clientele on the bio yeah, that you sent me. Yeah. I was about to ask you about that. Yeah, I've, pretty I've, I've worked cool with list. them, man. Um, you know, uh, it's been an honor because, you know, we, we spent a lot of money on these kicks back yeah. in the days, brother. So we really made it possible for a lot of these sneaker companies to even have a lifestyle division. Yeah. You know, hip hop made footwear popular. So I think it's only right that they give back. Yeah. You know, they work with us. They give us opportunity and resources. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a sneakerhead. Um, I've been rocking fly kicks since the early 80s. You know is what I mean? Puma's your choice of sneaker back then? or was, um, Yeah, I like yeah. the Puma basket. It was all leather. Puma shoe was really dope. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the, um, I think they call it a form stripe yeah. on, on a Puma sneaker. It was perforated. It was really dope, man. It was a good-looking shoe. And, um, yeah, man, it was a premium shoe, too. I mean, $50 is a lot of money for kicks in the early 80s, man. So we were doing it. <laughs> yeah, I remember back then, like, for me... Wanting a, a fresh pair of like shell tops, it was like a big deal. Yeah, you know, like yeah. to get money from my mom's for her to buy me that. You know, <laughs> yeah, man. The, the the shell toe was another big sneaker. Um, it actually came out the year I was born in 1970. It was around since '69 professionally for athletes, but then they introduced it to the public mm. in 1970, and we embraced that shoe as um really a another premium because the leathers, the uppers were all leather. Yeah. So think about it. We're in 1979, 80, I'm wearing like Chuck Taylor's, uh, a canvas shoe. Yeah. And even Nike, I was wearing the Nike. Cortez. The Cortez. Yeah. Which was like, you know. The fat It was a dope shoe. It was light. It was good for breaking, yeah. but it was easy to rip because it had like this nylon, you know, uh, material and shit. And, and made for great visual art too. And the people would draw the B-boys with the Cortez yeah, on and stuff. Again, it was a really good shoe i thought it was aerodynamic it was yeah. good for breaking but it was again it was easy to to pivot and rip that yeah. that shoe so when the leather shoes came out not only were they more sexier because it was a more premium look for hip-hop right all leather shoe but you know durable again, 
Yeah, but they were, yeah, they were durable shoes too, man. They were heavy shoes um, to break in. I mean, if those things flew off while you were doing a backspin. <laughs> and I've seen it. <laughs> you could get knocked unconscious. Or it was a heavy shoe, yeah. but um, it, I think it ushered in um, that whole premium footwear era because by 86, Gucci kicks were coming out. Those joints were like 200 bucks. That shit was crazy. You know, yeah, man. So it just really, the valleys, the valley competitions were coming out. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun wearing the kicks, um, just experimenting with fat laces and just, you know, coloring. Multicolor laces. Yeah, man, just, you know, just having fun. I mean, hip-hop is about having fun, man, and and trying to be original. So we certainly were doing that with the fashion and footwear. Now, Run DMC, before before any of the craziness happened with as far as, like, marketing for sneakers, I... I, I look at them as being solely responsible for promoting Adidas mm-hmm. without ever really receiving any, like, real payday from that. Is that fair to say? I mean, during the beginning time, they were just rocking the Adidas and just being themselves. And then, holy crap, wait a minute. This shit's taking off and we're, our sales yeah. are going through the roof. Now you got Run DMC, they're like, hmm. Well, yeah, initially they introduced rocking um you know, the shell toes and old laces, which was really a dope look. And by 86, I think they understood the power that they had. And um, they famously, and you can see it in the Just For Kicks movie, they have the old footage of them being, I think they were at a concert backstage, and they demanded that Adidas give them a million dollars, right? And Adidas gave them a million dollars because they understood the influence and they understood the purchasing power of our culture. You understand? I think they could have, they should have asked for more in hindsight. And if they didn't get it, they could have easily said, we're going to Nike and promote Nike. (laughs) And then, you know, and then that culture would have shifted over with run DMC to go to Nike. Brother, make no mistakes (laughs) about it. They got that money. Hell yeah. You understand? So they, they got that check. Um, Again, I think it was, it should have been $5 million. Underpaid. Because, well, yeah, because I mean, listen, a million is nothing after taxes. And then you got to break that up three ways, lawyer's fees, you know, so you probably, you're walking away with probably a quarter of a million, you know, if that, which was still good money in 86. But again, they made probably tens of millions of dollars off of um, hip hop and run DMC. But anyway, it it sort of um, ushered into an era where, you know, hip hop could demand to to work with big brands yeah. because they started understanding that we had that power, man. Like we're still the biggest global youth culture ever. Yeah. You understand? Hip hop is not dwindling. It just gets bigger every year. And so, it keeps evolving. Right. I mean, think about Run DMC. Check this out. Run DMC, they ask Adidas for a million dollars and they get it in 86. And then think about Kanye West working with Adidas 40 years later, right? And this guy creates a billion-dollar shoe brand with them. Easy. Think about that. I mean, yeah. that that's, I mean, over, it's dead and stinking now, unfortunately, for that brother. But, um, but yeah, man, think about in 86, these cats getting a million. And then in the 2000s, Kanye West creates a billion-dollar brand with the very same company. Run DMC paved the way, man. They planted the flag. Oh, yeah. So props to those brothers yeah. um, for, for what they've done for, for the culture, man. But, but yeah, it's just another component of hip-hop, man. You know, um, and I'm glad that I was always a part of it. 
you know, staying fly, rocking fresh kicks. I was honored to be in that movie in 2005. Shout out to Jamel Shabazz because that's another opportunity that he gave to me because I wasn't even supposed to be in the film. How did that happen? He was like, yo, Cole, I'm going to go do this movie <laughs> in the city and you should roll. And I said, I bet. Um, but I bring a bag of fat laces with me. I had all these, I still have this big bag of fat laces from the 80s. Oh, shit. And it was just, you know, just this, you know, bag of shoelaces that I kept that I used to put in all my sneakers. So I bring it with me to the city. Jamel and I meet up with the film crew. We start kicking it. And they, they're like, you know, why don't you talk about that? I told them, yo, I got some stuff here. And they looked at it. They went crazy. They was like, yo, <laughs> are those all original? And I was like, yeah, these were all in, you know, Pumas and Adidas and Nike at one point. And I dumped them on the table and they were like, talk about it. And <laughs> I said, sure. And that's how I got in the film. You wow. Because, again, I just wanted to, you know, spread some knowledge, man. Like, this is how we adorned our kicks. This is how we... um you know, matched them up with a Kango hat or the Tigra shirt or a pair of Lees, you know, because everything was kind of just matching. I used to rock those Lees, yeah. man. <laughs> so, so, yeah, man, they, they put me on and, you know, it was a good good thing. It put my face and my, my name out there, you know, in a whole other light because people knew me as Code Graph Writer. Yeah. They didn't know me as sort of the guy that, you know, could drop commentary on fashion and footwear. And again, man, I mean, we, we have all the knowledge in the world and, you know, any opportunity that I have to talk about it, um, hence us being here today, you know, I don't care if it's a big brand, a small brand, you know. This um, is your legacy, man. Yeah, this is. This, this is a legacy that you leave behind, yeah, man. And, you know, we have to leave it. I don't care if it's an audio form, visual form. You know, I have thousands of images that I've taken since the 80s photographically. You know, I'm happy to say that a lot of them have been published. Um, this November, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is going to induct Cool Herc. Wow, finally. Yeah. Finally. Cool man. Herc. Um, I will be there for that induction ceremony. Amazing. Wow. Um, that's going to be at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn Ooh. on November 3rd. Ooh. I will my be in birthday the house. is November 4th. Wow. Wow, dude. That's, that's crazy. Oh, my God. So, so not only am I going to attend that particular event, um, and incidentally, they're going to be inducting Missy Elliott in wow. the Hardcore Quest as well. Wow. So props to those cats. Historic um, night. But they also produce a program book for the event that's actually a book. It's really well done. Um, they become collector's items. And one of my images of Cool Herc will be published in that book for this particular event. So I'm honored not only that I'll be at the event, but I'll have one of my images memorialized in this wow. particular program wow. for posterity, man. So again, it becomes you know, immortal that, that image now. Yeah, man. I mean, listen, you wow. know, I took that image just by being somewhere. I was in Sedgwick, uh, Cedar park in the Bronx. You know, we were doing an event that day. It was a big photo shoot for a brand that I was working with called Cedric and Cedar. And I just was, you know, taking photos that day of all the pioneers. Grant was a theater, cool Herc. And I just so happened to catch Herc in a, in a really good pose, leaning up against the fence wow. in Cedar Park. And you can see the Cedar Park sign. And he's just sort of, you know, sort of like a profile shot of him yeah. leaning against it, looking very proud and, and dignified, man. And, you know, it just was a, that was the it was shot. a money shot, that as was, we call yeah, it. That was the shot. So they want to use it in the uh, program. And I'm, I'm happy that 
they can use it. I'm happy to get paid because they pay well too That's to awesome. publish images. So again, um, we were all out here doing all this shit, whether it's graffiti, taking photos or whatever. And it feels good now to be in a position to share it with the world, to monetize it, you yeah. know, because I've made all my money back. All the money that I've spent on footwear over, you know, over the years, I've made it back yeah. you know, working with Nike. I made all my Nike money back. I made all my Adidas money back. Basically not everything you yeah. do is paying it forward. Yeah. So we're just paying it forward. We're sharing the resources. Um, I speak a lot at schools, um, talking to kids about embracing what they love and finding a way to do it, you know, as a, um, as a career. You understand? And, you know, just letting them know that they can do it. You know, we're, we're taught to just go to school, get degrees and go work for people. Yeah. But I'm like, how about working for yourself? How Being about an entrepreneur? Right. How about identifying what you love to do and then doing it to the best of your ability? And if you're lucky enough, doing it for the rest of your life. So we try to speak to people about that, you know, and it's our way of paying it forward, you know, um, acting as mentors to these kids. And even to adults, I just did a sneaker panel for Jersey City's first day of fashion. It launched this year about two weeks ago. Nice. Shout out to them. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to Jersey City. um, You know. Your hometown. Yeah. Mona Contemporary, you know, and council president Joyce uh, Waterman for doing this event that's going to happen every year now. Wow. You know, every year Jersey City will have their own day of fashion, which is really dope. So we had a sneaker panel, myself and my guy, Sean Williams. He's a sneaker authority. And I remember after the panel, an adult coming up to me saying, you know, I've been working for a company all these years and I want to get out and do what I want to do now. And I was like, wow. And I was just sort of giving her little nuggets, man, putting things in her head, saying, hey, you should pursue this and that. So it's not just kids, brother. It's adults, too, that are tired of doing what they're doing for a living. And them wanting to express themselves because, you know, some people got talent. Yeah. They want to legitimately do something with it and not just as a hobby. Yeah. They want to do it full time. Some people, I I guess, you know, it's crazy to me because, um, you know, when you go back to what hip hop, how it started and, and, and you don't, there's no way that back then people would ever thought that it would, you know, like I said before, reach the heights that it's reached. But you look at it and you say, look at it now, right? Look at all the avenues of employment that it offers right. the, 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 the culture and the youth and the people who love it. Yeah. I mean, whether you're in the music aspect, the art aspect, mm-hmm. the fashion aspect, I mean, it's just, the list goes on and on, whether you're a writer, producer, whatever it is, you're producing movies. I know. I mean, it's just the list yeah. goes on and on. Yeah. We've created a whole um, industry, you know, hip hop culture is a billion dollar industry um, consisting of art, fashion, music, and you're right in the middle you know, of all that, man. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> we we were here from day one, um, you know, uh, before it was an industry, when it was just something for us to do, right? Nobody was making money. I'm out there, you know, spending my food town money. I used to work in food town as a kid, mm. you understand? So I'm a, I'm a 15, 16-year-old kid working in food town just to make money to buy film and go shoot photos of trains and walls of, you know, in New York City or what have you. And everything we did, we did for the love. And it came out of our pocket. We didn't understand how to monetize anything yet. And there was no platform yet to monetize. And you know what? When you look back at those pictures that you have, that you own, that you took yourself, you yeah. can see the passion yeah. through that lens. As you, like I'm looking at some of the iconic 
images that you have here. And you can see that these pictures and images were taken with pride. They were taken with a sense of, you know, pride that you could only imagine back then. It was like, this is our thing. This is what we have. This is what, this is, you know, out of everything else that's going on in the world, this is ours. Right. This, this thing of ours, right. That's what I call it. You know, kind of like the same thing the mafia calls. La cosa you know, nostra. Right. It's, <laughs> this, it's this thing of ours. And, you know, I look at this book on my coffee table, The Streets When. Um, this is a book that LL just released. Um, it's not even out yet, as a matter of fact. That's my advanced copy. Nice. It comes out October 3rd, um, 2023. Oh, that's next month. Yeah, Beautiful. so this is a real great testament to 50 years of hip-hop culture. Um, it's done by one of my homegirls, Vicky Tollback. And um, LL was really the the uh, engine, him and Rock the Bells, put this thing together with Rizzoli books and um that's awesome what, they, he's, what he's got going with rock the bells yeah no doubt man so they reached out to me to contribute to the book um they commissioned me to do a whole spread on graffiti culture wow. so i have a nice spread in there based on 40 years of graffiti art um you know a lot of those images um a few of those images i should say were mine that i took in the late 80s wow. you know in early 90s and i'm honored to have those images in that book, um, and I have some original artwork as well, um, art that I created utilizing Joe Conzo, who was considered hip-hop's first photographer. Wow. I used some of his images to create um, artwork that appears as the end sheets in the book. So as soon as you open that book up, the artwork that you see, that's that's something that I created. So um, I'm honored to be in this book, which is being released on, you know, during Hip Hop 50 and again, it, it has my artwork, it has my photography in it, and it's just something that my kids and grandkids can see later and know that, you know, their dad or their granddad, you know, was someone that was involved with the arts. Like a look through your eyes. Right, and, 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 and I always hope that something's going to inspire them. Like, you know, they'll pick up a camera one day or they'll pick up, you know, not a pen anymore. They'll, they'll get on the keyboard and, <laughs> and, and write their thoughts. Like my daughter's becoming a really great writer herself. Oh, that's awesome. You know what I mean? So um, I hope that they can see it, man, because I, I keep everything very well documented in my life. I mean, I save everything. I got books of business cards. You know, I have books with stickers in it, books with magazines. Like I have catalogs. Hello, my name is. <laughs> yeah, I have catalogs of everything. So years later... You know, whether it winds up in a museum or in one of my family's homes, there's a visual record of everything that I was involved in. You know, um, there's going to be an audio visual record because there's interviews now. Oh, hell yeah. So, so yeah, man, I, I hope that it can inspire future generations of Rodriguez's, you know, because my my dad was not into the arts at all. You know, he was a blue collar dude. Um, he was very athletic. He was a marathoner. You know, oh, wow. He was somebody that would run the New York City Marathon, which was always impressive to me. Wow. Um, very talented as a, a carpenter, you know, played softball. He was nice in the pool hall. You know, my dad got busy, but he wasn't someone that really promoted, you know, education. You know what I mean? Um, I was supposed to go to college on an art scholarship, and I didn't because wow. I just had a kid. And as soon as I left high school, I left it with a diploma and a baby. Wow. And I was like, I got to get to work. I got to earn. I got to be a responsible adult. So um, I, I was lucky enough to land a, a bank job, you know, a local bank. 
It's a big bank at the time. It was a billion-dollar bank. I was lucky enough to get a job there. I put myself through a year of business school, and I was doing the corporate thing for a little bit. You weren't happy. Um, but, yeah, I was making money, but I wasn't happy. Um, I was always doing something on the side, even at the job. I was doing logos. I remember working on the Roots first logo back then. Um, You know, I had a chance encounter with Spike Lee. You know, I met Spike at the Brill Building in Manhattan. Hip hop Um, culture was hogging you. It was just, no, it was just, you know what it is, B? I think when you have um, all this artistic talent and passion and you're out there doing your thing, people recognize you. Because I was recognized by someone that knew a guy named Monty Ross. Monty Ross is a famous film producer. He worked on a lot of Spike Lee films. He famously did a lot of those Mars Davis commercials. Do the Right Thing was one of those films, wasn't it? Say again? Do the Right Thing was one of those films, right? Yeah. Monty Monty was, I mean, just Google his name, Monty Ross. Um, He's an OG. And, um, you know, one of my homegirls said, hey, I know this guy that's working on an independent film with some guy named Bernie Mac. Wow, God bless his soul. (laughs) Yeah, it was just like, these are all new... (laughs) I'm talking like 95, wow. 96. So she was like, yeah, this guy, Bernie Mac, um, you know, this, this woman, Lisa Ray, MC8, the rapper from wow, West Coast. MC8. <laughs> so it was a movie that they had hired myself and my um, my homies that I was doing this, this uh, graphic design business with to work on the poster art for this film. And then, um, you know, I'm in New York at the Brill Building, which is a famous uh, building in, in, in Manhattan. Do a lot of editing and stuff there. And I'm up in there with Monty, walking around. I'm, I'm meeting all these cool people. And then he, he introduces me to Spike. He's like, hey, this, this is my man, Cole. He'll, I was like, oh, snap, Spike Lee, you know? <laughs> and Spike was mad cool. You know, he had to keep it moving because at the time he was screening clockers. Oh, shit. They had just finished clockers and he had to keep it moving. Um, But, yeah, that day was a really dope day. And it just, I guess it was something that um, um I realized very early on that I could be a part of movies. And, and, you know, I was doing it artistically back then, working on poster art. But when I think about where I'm at today, working on original content as an executive producer, you know, I was like, wow, you know, so there's a lineage there, man. Like, I don't discount anything that I've done. Um, I think it's all, you know, um, connected. You know, I don't believe in, you know, um, something happening as, as a result of luck. You know what I mean? I think luck is is hitting the slots in Vegas. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I just think that people, they work, they work hard, they attract good energy, they put themselves around the right people, they surround themselves around good people. And I think good things happen, man. The if, universe opens up. Yeah, I think if you're true to your culture, man, if you if you're good, um, if you're a good person, if you try to pay it forward. I think a lot of opportunities open up too, because I've I've seen shit happen to me that I was like, man, how did I wind up here? You know what I mean? Like I'm in I'm in London hanging out with Puma at their uh, headquarters, you know, chilling like, and and they're showing us love. Or I'm in Paris cooling out with Adidas. People picking your brain for ideas. Hanging out with Red <laughs> Bull in 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 Sao Paulo, Brazil, and oh, they're showing us massive love. And I'm just saying, man, like. There are people that really respect this art form. They really respect um, people that are visionaries, and they respect good people. I mean, I think a lot of my opportunities came because I was uh, always a good person. I mean, I, now there was a time, I guess, where I was an asshole because um, you know when you're young and you you think you're hot, 
You think you know, you know everything. You think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so there was probably a time where people were hating. But um, again, man, as we grow older, we become wiser. You know, we look back uh, with hindsight on things. And I think these days I'm more concerned about, you know, taking this culture forward, helping people to achieve their goals, and just doing good shit, man. Like, you know, we, we create good, good projects. Everything I'm involved in, I mean, I, I'm happy to say that they're, they're awesome projects, you know, whether they're film, TV, or books, you know, and that means a lot to me, man, that we can be sort of the um, uh, custodians of this culture. Like, we're carrying this shit right now. You Speaking know? of projects, hip-hop treasures on A&E. Can you talk to us a little bit about this? I'm excited about this show. I have yet to see it, but um, I'm the type of person that I wait for several episodes to accumulate so I can binge. So I'm really excited to watch this. Talk to us about this. Yeah, so Hip Hop Treasures is a project that was created by my uh, my man Pete Nice, formerly of the group Third Base, and my other man, um, Paradise Gray, uh, formerly of the X-Clan and and the Latin Quarter. Paradise was... The like Lord of the Latin Quarter, man. He was the dude back then. Um, you know, so those two brothers put together this just genius idea of collecting hip hop artifacts. Relics. Um, yeah, man, mm. and and finding um a place for them in the Universal Hip Hop Museum. So the idea is not only to collect these artifacts, right, from individuals that probably have them rotting away in a basement or a warehouse. <laughs> God. And share them with the world, actually. You know, we have to start preserving our culture, our identity. So Pete and Dice, you know, they go around to different, you know. Tracking um, down people that might have these relics. Yeah, so they, you know, the tracking down is being done by Cypher Sounds. Nice. And, and Yo-Yo. Oh, my God. For part of the show, right? Um, Ice-T is one of the hosts. That's and awesome. And LL is one of the hosts. And it's a great show, man. It's in its fourth episode. Um, they just aired the Bismarcky Rest in Peace episode. Rest in peace, and it's really dope because a lot of people are sitting on these artifacts, not just the rappers, right? People like myself that have collected Fans. flyers and cassette tapes. And <sighs> and what what they're trying to do is just really collect these items to share for posterity, whether it's a loan or just a permanent excuse me, piece for the um exhibition. Um, not the exhibition, the museum. So that's what the show was doing. Um, it's really well done. It's done by a company called Pulse Films for A&E. And um, yeah, man, I mean, I knew about it a year ago when Pete was talking to me about it. Like, yo, I want to do it. I'm like, yo, Pete, this is a dope idea. You know, um, I'm happy to say, you know, I was I was working with them behind the scenes, offering some some advice or whatever. And I mean, they pretty much had this thing down. I was just... You know, um, we work as a team on a lot of things. Pete, myself, and Paradise. Paradise is also one of my clients. I represent a lot of his work, you know, dating back to the Latin Quarter, a lot of his photos. Historical club, by the way. Yeah, that, well, you know. <laughs> Latin Quarter. We're, we're working on something big regarding the LQ. Oh, I, can, I can't blow it up yet, ah! there, there's something big about to happen oh, with, man. with the LQ, mm. man. But, um, yeah, it's it's part of the uh, 2024 jump off. Mm, the agenda yeah, for 2024, it's, it's, baby. It's a dope show. It's on Saturday nights, 10 p.m. on A&E, the A&E uh, Network. And I think there's four more episodes left. There's eight eps. They're up to number four. When will you guys know if it's going to be picked up for a second season? I mean, it's funny because I just asked Pete two days ago. We were together, and I I said, Pete, the show is to me a hit. Um, you know, how soon will you know if there's going to be a season two? And 
He's saying um, it may be soon. They'll know something soon. The ratings dictate the ratings. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he says yeah. the ratings are pretty solid. So I'm hoping it goes into a season two because there's there's still so much to uncover out there. And man. with you the know? anniversary of hip hop, 50 years, that that also should have played a role in the promotion of all of well, this. Well, it does. Right? Yeah. It, it, well, it it did, and it yeah. still does. Um, again, the Universal Hip Hop Museum is a part of this show. Um, wow. A lot of the items that are being collected are going to wind going, up. Yes. In that, because Pete and Paradise are the the co curators for that museum. Wow. So, you know, them doing this show, which they're executive producers and, you know, pretty much they created it. Um, so, yeah, they're working hand in hand with the museum. It's a it's sort of a concerted effort, again, to uh, amass all these great items and then to permanently display them in the museum. Wonderful. You know, and if you watch the show, it's pretty dope um, how they just reach out to all of these, you know, icons and say, hey, man, we need the um, the the prop that they use in the Humpty Dance video, the big nose or whatever. Oh, man. Or, you know, we need, you know, this gold chain or this jacket or what have you. Um, it's just a really exciting show. Have you guys bumped into anyone who probably is like a collector, probably successful, has a lot of money, and just doesn't want to give something up? Well, I haven't personally bumped into that, that person. Um, what's interesting, though, is... Uh, now that you mention that, if you watch the DMX episode of Hip Hop Treasures, DMX um, bought this, I think it was like a lowrider, and he famously had Aaliyah when she passed away. Wow. He had a really dope portrait of Aaliyah airbrushed on the hood. It looks like something straight out of the West Coast, Whoa. right? And they went to go find this car, which was in some uh, garage. You know, it was like this white guy that owned the garage, wow. some auto body shop somewhere, I think maybe in upstate New York. Again, you can watch the episode. Collecting dust. And it was collecting <sighs> dust. He pulled it out and, you know, and but hold on, it gets better. In the car, I think he had, um, it was uh, DMX's rhyme book, this huge <sighs> book full of DMX's rhymes. And I think he said... <sighs> X gave him the book. Like he found it in the car and he called up, I think X or his wife and said, Hey, there's a rhyme book in this car. And they were basically like, well, you can just keep it. And we're talking about DMX's rhyme book. Like this thing is thick, man. It looks like the, the old Testament or something. And, God. you know, he had left these great drawings in there, you know, like it was just all these priceless items. And this guy that owns an auto body owns this stuff. So they were like, yo, we need to put this in the museum. This stuff can't be locked up this somewhere. Priceless yeah, stuff, man. People need to see this rhyme book. They need to see these drawings. Man. They need to see the car that's wow. being covered up with a tarp. So it's just an example of a lot of people that um, have come across very precious items, you know, whether they collected them, whether it was gifted to them. You know, a lot of stuff gets thrown out. Some people just don't want to part with these things. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen. Um, but giving it back and paying it forward, yeah, I think I mean, that's listen, the best thing to do, in my I, opinion. I think he loaned it to the museum. He didn't oh, okay. give it to them. That's, um, that's, that's fair, I guess. Yeah, I think he understands the value of yeah. it. But the fact that he's willing to share it with the world by where the museum that's is, awesome. is really a good look. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a great show. Um, again, shout out to my man Pete in Paradise. That's their show. Um, it's on AD Network and boom, you know, check it out. And, you know, it's again, it's part of some of the things that a lot of us as collectors and historians 
are doing out here, man. We're yeah. trying to do some some new um, some new things with the culture, um, and we're trying to tie it into bigger and better, you know, opportunities with museums and you know people that just want to give hip hop a, a permanent home. Yeah. So, or, so I wanted to get into house music, mm-hmm. freestyle music. Okay. There's a fusion that I think happens with freestyle music and house music and then the hip hop culture. Right. Can you take me through that? Do you understand where I'm coming from with this? Um, I think I do only because um, I listen to both genres, you know, um, as a teenager. Yeah. Um, but it, it starts before that. I think it all starts with um, like electro music. When you talk about, you know, freestyle I think the electro predates it. Um, you think Shannon, you think Lisa Lisa, you yeah. think um, Two Sisters. TKA. Um, they come They come later. I'm talking like 83. Mm. We're talking about a particular sound, which to me is the impetus for freestyle. Yeah. Okay? So a lot of people think of Shannon as being free. She's not freestyle. Shannon's dance music. Freestyle as a term didn't exist in 83. You understand? Yeah. So... A lot of that sound to me is just electro fused with dance music and just great vocalists. Um, and then by 85, you start seeing people like, you know, um, who was it? Uh, Sal's artist, uh, Naomi. Sal Abatello famously, you know, uh, gave Naomi a shot. She was a young Cuban kid, I think, from Brooklyn. And he put her on and, you know, she drops, give me a second chance for love and 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 now, um, and I think Sal plays a big role in freestyle music. I think when the Fever, his famous club, the Disco Bronx, Fever, yeah, yeah kind of died out around 80, 45, he was looking, he told me personally, Shit. he was looking for something new. And he, he spotted these kids, these Spanish cats dancing in, in the Bronx. And, you know, he was excited. He was like, yo, um, you know, I think this is like Latin hip hop. Like he started. That's it, my point. And it's a bit ambiguous when you think about it, because Latins have always been a part yeah. of hip hop, but I think he saw it in a different light, right? So so Sal starts recognizing that this is going to be the new thing, this, this new sound, this new look, people are dressing um, a certain way. He famously yeah. opens up a club called the Devil's Nest in the Bronx. Ah. And the Devil's Nest, as is, is, is grimy as it was, was <laughs> uh, Little Louis Vega's. You know, Shout out to off. little Louis Vega, yeah. DJ Tony Touch. That's right. That was Louis' jump off right there. That's really where he made wow. his bones, I want to say, wow. arguably, right? And, you know, that club was responsible for really um, introducing a lot of acts, man. I mean, you know, it starts drifting now into, you know, Heartthrob. Louis went from the Devil's Nest to Heartthrob, which was the old funhouse. Yeah. And that place, I mean, we used to go there and it was just bananas, man. Um, so freestyle music is, is popping from 85 on. You got a lot of, uh, it resonates with us being Puerto Ricans because yeah. a lot of the acts were Puerto Rican yeah, or maybe Dominican, right? And it's a new sound for us, man. It's, it's like, you know, our form of dance music, you know, it has elements of, you know, salsa in it, you know, the sound is really funky. It's it's reminiscent Funk, of electro. Say, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's something that, you know, we quickly identify with, man. You As know. a young man growing up in Queens, like all the big time, like, you know, older dudes, who, you know, the drug dealers and stuff yeah. like that, they all rocked those Grand National cars, the Monte Carlo, they all had systems in it. And these guys, these, you know, 
pretty badass dudes. They were pumping this freestyle music, pumping this, you know, early early age house type music and it all kind of fused in with the with the graffiti culture and just especially in the latin community from where i was from in queens and so growing up with that it just kind of feels like it all became part of the hip-hop culture as i knew it yeah well i mean freestyle came from the streets man like hip-hop so i think if you i mean i'll give you a good example um uh, Sal Abatello was throwing these great, he still does them, these great, you know, parties. At the time, I think he was doing Radio City Music Hall. He famously sold out back-to-back nights at Radio City Music Hall to do a hip-hop and a freestyle concert. Wow. It was both. And I remember um, hanging out front with everybody, and Bismarck, he walks up. And, <sighs> Rest in peace, Bismarck. Yeah, and um, who else uh, was there as well? Um, Sapphire, you know proud of Spanish Harlem. So they're both there. And I'm like, yo, Biz, Sapphire, let me get a shot of you guys together. But hold on. Let me, let me tell you the significance of having them in the same photo. So they, they all hug each other. They're smiling because they know each other. And I grabbed this great photo of Biz Markie and Sapphire outside of Radio City Music Hall. And it's significant because these are two artists that you could have seen at the same venue. You could have seen Biz play at Heartthrob, and you could have seen Sapphire do Don't Break My Heart and Heartthrob. So this is uh, two genres that are connected, freestyle and hip-hop, all street. It's all connected. Yeah. So when you go to these clubs and you see graffiti writers hanging out with drug dealers or whomever, it's it's all it's all love at the, at the end of the day because this is all street shit, man. Yeah. Right? This these are all street street dudes. culture. Yeah, I mean this is um how it was back then and house music was the same thing. House music has its own history. I think maybe starting off in Chicago, arguably. I know there was a huge house scene in Jersey. Yeah. You know what I mean? We had a um huge club out here called the Zanzibar. Oh shit. That's yeah, so the Zanzibar that. has a Really incredible wow. history uh, with respect to house music. Okay, so yeah, a whole other the Lamar East, Roseland, Lamar East and Queens, oh, your, your stomping grounds wow. out there. So, so yeah, man, there was a lot of clubs back then. Ten eighteen, Studio Fifty Four. I mean, tons of clubs back then that accommodated um, freestyle music. Um, it's unfortunate that it was a short-lived genre, yeah. you know, and I think it's because they really didn't know how to promote it and market it. You understand? Yeah. Um, but it, it was cool while it lasted. Hot 103 was a great station back then that constantly had freestyle bumping, man. You know. Um, it was a good time. It was it was a good time, B, because it was like the golden era of hip-hop, mm-hmm. right? And then you had freestyle popping. You know, house music was in full effect. So there was That's no shortage. That's when the village was the village back in those days. The, the ville was dope. <laughs> ville. You know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. So, I mean, listen, I think... It, Everything up to about maybe the mid to late 90s was yeah. still popping in yeah. New York and New Jersey, for that matter. Yeah. And the 2000s was a whole other beast. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I still listen to freestyle. I mean, I have all of these um, air checks from back in, in the day on 103. I download them off the internet. Yeah. You know, I have them as digital files. And it's just, it's great memories listening to the music. And I've been a, a ton of freestyle concerts over the years. I've met everyone. You know, I met. I remember hanging out with Shannon in the back of the uh, backstage at the Garden. She's such a sweetheart, man. Wow. Beautiful woman. 
Um, just Shout meeting, out to Shannon. Yeah, just meeting <laughs> all my my little freestyle heroes, man. Wow. TKA, I mean, you know, K7 is a good brother to this wow, day. K7. Yeah, um, Judy Torres, just just all of those. Stevie B. Stevie B. I mean, the cover girls. Wow. I mean, it's cool because there was all these hip hop heroes that I've had over the years that I wanted to meet and know, and I finally wound up doing it by working with them. Some of them, even my clients. Wow. And it's just like, uh, again, it's, it's the beauty of this culture. You grow up listening to Kiss FM as a kid, and then one day you're good friends with Red Alert. You know what I mean? Like, I noticed you got T-shirts that you make dedicated yeah. to like stations and stuff like that. Well, yeah, ATW, because it's a curated brand, you know, we do a lot of throwback tees. Yeah. So I decided to do a Kiss T-shirt because the station went under in 2012. Yeah, yeah which was a shame. Yeah, and I'm like, but... This is so iconic, this this station. I wanted to honor it. Yeah. So I remember I took Red Alert to lunch in Harlem and also Breakbeat Lou. You know, um, Breakbeat Lou did all the Ultimate Breaks and Beats albums. Yeah. So I wanted to get uh, Red's blessing on the T-shirt before I produced them. So I said, Red, I want to do this shirt. Not only do I want to put the classic Kiss logo on the front of the shirt, the back of the shirt, I want to honor the DJs and oh, honor wow. their personalities wow. so that it's it's... My shirt, because anybody yeah. can do a, a logo shirt, yeah. right? They, they get knocked off all day, every day. But because I'm a historian and a curator, I'm like, I want to do it where I honor the station. So I did this little uh, piece in the back where I time-stamped it. I think it was like 81 to 2012. Wow. And I had this list. It's like a block of names of all the iconic DJs, wow. including Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out and the Latin Rascals. That's awesome. Who were all instrumental. And I've been selling that tea for years around the globe because wow. I'm the only one that's doing a shirt like that. Wow. So what ATW does is we we honor, you know, those those great moments in time, yeah. whether it's a photograph or radio station or just, you know, a movie, you know. We do Where is the '89 Tech Nine T-shirt? Well, yeah, we, we, we haven't done that one yet. That would have to be a collabo, you know. Um, again, he's a shout role. out to DJ Stretch Armstrong and yeah. Bobito the Barber. Yeah, Bob is my man. Oh man, yeah, I used to, to dude. I used to live for those Thursday nights, yeah. man. I used to live for those Thursday nights with my yeah. finger on the record button and the whole yeah. shit. You know. What I mean? Yeah, now Bob does his own <laughs> tees and merch. You know what I mean? So. I mean, look, man, I'm happy to collaborate with anyone. I've collaborated with mad people over the years. I'm happy Because I know say, that's one thing about you, what yeah. you do. You collaborate with so many people, man. Yeah, because it's it's not about myself, man. It's about the culture. So, you know, me collaborating with a Breakbeat Lou to do the Ultimate Breaks and Beats anniversary t-shirt, you know, was was an honor, man. You know, Lou is an incredible Boricua from the Bronx. He's he's a visionary himself. And I just told him, look, I want to honor this this great legacy that you guys have put out, like everybody that was doing breakbeats back then, doing tracks in the eighties, even Dr. Dre talked about it. Wow. They were pulling those breaks from the ultimate breaks and beats catalogs. Right. So to be able to work with Lou later in that brand was just, it was really dope. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, my honor. And then on top of that, Lou's just a good brother. Like he's a genuinely humble and loving dude. You know what I mean? So it's not about making shirts and, and doing cool shit like that is, is creating bonds and, and relationships with people that we know, we love, or respect. And then us doing things later, now that we know each other, us working together later on projects. Um, you know, I met Kenny Dope years ago. Um, wow, Kenny Dope. Yeah, good brother. Him and Louie do the Masters at Work thing. 
And I, I've known about Kenny. I mean, Kenny and I are the same age. So I've known about Kenny since the late 80s and 90s when they were doing their thing. But I met Kenny in the 2000s, and we became mad cool. And I remember when he said, yo, I want to do something on the Wild Style breakbeats. Kenny um, created a box set of 45s wow. based on the breakbeats from Wild wow. Style. And I remember when he was trying to do it, he didn't know Charlie Ahern, the director. So I was like, yo, Charlie's my man. I'll take you to the crib. Wow. So we get in the whip. We go to Charlie's crib in New York. They hit it off. And, you know, Few months later, they produced this incredible, you know, box set of like remastered breakbeats on wow. the Wild Style album. Yes. I mean, it's really dope. But my point is, when I met Ken, it was just, you know, um, one of the homies introducing me to him. You know, us having a lot in common, being Puerto Rican, same age, loving hip hop. You understand? Yeah. So, you know, there's all these connections there, man. So, you know, by way of knowing people and being cool. And respecting one another, opportunities present themselves. Yeah. You know, so when he told me he wanted to do that, I'm like, let me help you do it. Yeah. You know, I know my man, let's do it. You know, so he gave me a nice uh, credit in the production, which was dope. You know, it was nice to be uh, recognized for that. But again, you know, it was me working, doing what I love with, with people that I love, you know? That's right, man. That's amazing, man. Word. And as far as the uh, apparel for ATW, if people wanted to go and grab something up, what uh, where, where can they get the the apparel? Yeah, so you can get um the apparel or the wall art that we sell. We also sell exclusive wall art, you know, um at atwcrewcre.com. Uh, yeah, atwcrew.com. Wonderful. So so yeah, man, go up there, get get a kiss shirt, get a Latin quarter tee. You know Hell what I'm yeah. saying? Hell yeah. Get something that no one else has, man. Um, we have a huge following overseas. Nice. People send me flicks all the time and tell me that, yo, somebody stopped me today because I was wearing a, <laughs> you know, Ultimate Breaks and Beats t-shirt. So it feels good, man. We yeah. get a lot of notes from people, you know, reviews that come in and, you know, people ordering their second tea like, yo, my tea is dogged out. I gave it to my wife. I got to get a new one. <laughs> so that that's kind of fly, man. So, so yeah, man, you know, atwcrew.com. You can get all the, the fly shit there. People could also follow you on Instagram. Yeah, I'm Cole Rodriguez. Uh, K-O-E, Rodriguez, all one word, Instagram, Facebook, you know, um, you know, most platforms, you know what I mean? As far as uh, looking at where you are in life now and seeing a possible young Cole Rodriguez emerging as someone who cares as much as you do, is there someone out there that you have your eye on that possibly reminds you of you? And you're saying to yourself, this could possibly be the guy that when it's time for me to move on, I'm comfortable knowing that it's in good hands? Um, I don't think there could ever be a you. There's people that will Or someone you, like you. Yeah, of you. Um, look, we, we don't retire. When you do what you love for, for a living, you don't really retire. You, yeah. You just stop doing it. Yeah. Right? Or you just put it's it in- It's still in you, of course. Right. You put it in cruise control. Maybe you don't do it as frequently. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'll ever stop being creative. I like making money. I'm always going to make bread. Um, and I just think that maybe I'll slow down, you know, later. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this is my third act. We all have acts in life, you mm. know, and I feel like in my fifties, this is my third act. 
embracing original content, you know, this uh, is the working, grand stage. Yeah, working as an executive producer, you know, really just bringing on bigger and better clients for special projects, man. Um, I don't feel old. You know what I mean? I've always kept a young state of mind. I don't look old. People don't think I'm. Is there someone you might be mentoring? Excuse me. Um, I don't have a mentor per se. Uh, per se, I I speak to kids. You know, um, I don't care if it's my own. Somebody who admires you, who wants to take your footsteps. I I think that there's people that um, they acknowledge what you do, they admire what you do. Um, If they will try to continue to do things that you do, right? I think that's a blessing. Um, I think my kids are probably the closest. Well, my adult kids are doing their own thing, but maybe my daughter, Sunshine, will one day say, hey, you know, I want to be a writer or, Hey, I want to be an artist. And that would be kind of fly for her to, you know, exercise creativity. But if she just decided to be uh, a, a business person, a businesswoman, you know, cause her dad owned two businesses and that would be kind of dope. Cause it's know? inspiring sitting across from you and talking about Thank all this you. cool stuff, man. You know Thank what I mean? You, and I can only imagine as someone who's younger looking up for an example, you, you're a good example for somebody, you, man. man. You know what I mean? Because yeah. who better to learn from and admire someone Who's still doing it? Doing right. it probably as bad as as good as they've ever done it, and probably even better now with all the stuff that's afforded to you now with technology and yeah. you know the way business is done nowadays. So, yeah, man. I mean, that's why I speak to the kids and I do these panels that we do because I'm hoping that you know we can reach people that again, not kids, not, not just kids. There's adults, man, yeah. that are really trying to get out of their nine to five and just the the robotic state of mind that they're in, you know, working for corporate. I mean, I had a lawyer um, that was representing me in um, California and he got out of being a lawyer to get into the cannabis space. Mm. He wasn't happy with legal anymore. Wow. You know, so there's a lot of people that are leaving their, their nine to fives to just pursue what they love doing. It's, it's, it's hard. They're freeing themselves from the system. Yeah. They're, they're, it's liberating yourself. Right. But I mean, it's not easy, man. It was a time where I was really struggling financially, you know, um, it was really rough, man. You know what I'm saying? Like everything that I have now is a blessing, but it, it came at a price, man. You know, you're going to lose loved ones, you know, you're going <laughs> to. You know, you may be in jeopardy of being arrested one day, you know, um, because you you may be behind on payments or something. But that's because when you do something, you have to sort of jump off a cliff. Like, mm-hmm. you have to just jump. You got to take a risk. Like, I'm not the type that's going to stick my foot in the water to see if it's cold. I'm just going to jump in. And as a kid, I almost drowned that way. Mm-hmm. Somebody actually had to save me from drowning because I've always had that mentality of j- jump in first. Right? So, you know, I don't do... Anything I do part-time, this is a full-time thing and it's been full-time, but it wasn't always the case. I had to do it part-time because of nine to fives, but just find a way to do it part-time if you have to. But at some point in time, you got to take a leap, man, because part-time work leads to part-time results. Yeah. So if you're not getting where you want to get in life, man, you have to reconsider. You have to sit back and say, hey, what's holding me back? Oh, well, I'm only doing it part-time. That's why I'm not there yet. So maybe if I if I take the leap and say I'm just gonna do it full time, you know, go all out, do what I gotta do, maybe you'll you know become successful, man. Like for me, there was no option to go back to corporate America. I'm yeah. like, I'm gonna die trying. Like yeah, little man here though. You know? I was like, yeah. yo, I'm not going back to a nine to five. I am going to die trying to do this thing, and 
you know, thank God I was able to connect some dots, make enough money to put away to fall back on if things got rough. You understand? So, you know, you, you build it brick by brick. You know, I'm never comfortable, even though I'm technically comfortable. I don't think that way. I think almost like I don't have anything. I noticed the most successful people, they always have that same frame of mind. Yeah, don't, don't get too comfortable. Stay hungry. I don't lose the hunger, brother. Um, I'm like, yo, you know, I got to keep going. Um, I work on holidays, you know, Labor Day weekend. I may be in here working. I may go out in the yard, barbecue for a couple of hours. But if I got to close a deal or make some moves, then, you know, I do what I got to do, man. Um, When you're an entrepreneur, when you're a business person, you're a hunter and you eat what you kill. So if if you're not out there hunting, you ain't ain't eating, my man. Nobody's feeding me. I don't go to anybody for anything. You understand what I'm saying? So you have to stay busy. Um, Again, do the best work that you can. People will acknowledge good work. Everything that I've written, people have read it and said, yo, that shit was impactful. Or if I've designed anything, people have been like, yo, that's that's a great tea. Like, because I'm I'm putting my heart into it. I'm not yeah. just haphazardly doing anything. You understand? Yeah. I'm, I'm really doing it because I'm like, yo, I want this to be a great tea. I want this to be a great read. You know what I mean? I want this to be a great exhibition. You know, I did Red Alert's first exhibition in New York in Times Square to honor him wow. two years ago. Wow. And and I told him during a press conference that, yo, we're sitting at a table like this and Red's there. I'm like, this is my hip hop hero. This is my hero right here. For me to be here doing this exhibition on this man's life is an honor. You understand? Yeah. And, and Red, yeah. you know, telling me privately that, yo, this was incredible and, and thank you. Wow. Do you understand? Those are the moments because I didn't do that for money. Yeah. I did that for the culture and for Red Alert. Wow. You know, because that's how much I respect him and, and him giving us a reason to sit by a boombox on a Friday night and tape something so that we can have something, to fre- you know, fresh to rock yeah. for the weekend. Like, that shit means a lot to me because those people gave a lot of themselves for yeah. us. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. So if I could give back to any of them. That's the know. way I feel with DJ Tony Touch. I yeah, constantly touch. tell him all the time, you know, um, I've got the pleasure of being good friends with him. And I yeah. tell him, bro, your mixtapes were the soundtrack to my youth. That's right. You touch know? is a good brother, man. And um, yeah, man, I mean, listen, what you do now with your platform is great because you're you're able to bring people such as myself and other people on um, to interview and then to share that interview with other people and hopefully they'll be inspired. They may reach out and say, yo, I heard you on this joint. I'm working on something. Maybe we can work together. Yeah. You know, if it makes sense, I'm all in it. You know what I'm saying? Um, if, 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 if it's something that's not, you know, in my wheelhouse or not attractive, I may just say, Hey man, this is not for me, but maybe I can point them in the right direction. But yeah. you know, the fact that you have a platform is important, man. We have yeah. a lot of, Tech, uh, tech resources nowadays that we should be really utilizing to educate, to entertain, and to offer um, resources and opportunities, man. So, yeah. you know, to keep inspire, doing what you're doing. Yeah, I no doubt. It, man. No Thank doubt, you, brother. Man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's really the thing for me. Like, you know, certain people tell me, oh, you know, what you're doing is great, but why are you doing it? And I say, because I love conversing with people. I love, uh, Talking with people who I find interesting. I love the culture of hip hop music. I love music. I love movies. I love this. I love and and you know what? I love to just converse with people who interest me and spark the interest of feeling like 
what what else is there in the world for me to 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 talk about? Is this guy somebody that I can talk to? Is, is someone else interested? Right. Is someone else thinking like me? Do they also want to know the, the the questions and the answers of what's in my head? And I think the the, the answer to that is yeah. And I think that's why I do this because uh, yeah, man, it's 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 fun. I don't care about you know, recognition in that way. Like some people do that. Oh, you got to do this. Oh, you got to do that. I'm like, well, then you do that. Cause I'm right. not doing this for money. Right. I'm doing this because I'm passionate about it. And I find it interesting that I can just sit down with people like Mo Vaughn, people like yourself, yeah. people like DJ Tony touch people like ex wrestler, uh, WWE superstar Maven. Shout out to Maven Hoffman. Shout out to, uh, DJ Tony touch. Shout out to Mo Vaughn, you know, and that's right. to me is, uh, this is, a form of a legacy that I could leave behind my voice. Yeah, no doubt, man. You know, and it could lead to bigger and better things, man. I mean, if your, your pod is, is really impactful. If it's touching people that talking about it, 17 countries, five platforms yeah. now so far. So I'm grateful, you know, um, Yeah, man. it's been, it's been a ride and um, I'm, I, I'm happy to see what an optimistic about the future because, uh, I know a lot of people, man, and doors open up, and uh, I got some stuff in the works with some pretty cool, interesting people, and I'm excited um, about that for 2024. So, <laughs> Brother, listen, we yeah. were doing the same thing in the mid-'90s. We were publishing, no doubt. You know what I mean? We weren't a sexy magazine, but we were grassroots. We were grabbing a bunch of people, guys like Jay-Z, guys like Sal Abatello, Charlie Stetler, who managed the Fat Boys, wow. you know, for years. Ed I was just listening to something we, we, in the car we, with the we Fat Boys. We made it a point. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, we, we made it a point to reach out to a lot of the unsung heroes, not just the rappers, but the people that were responsible for careers, the idol makers. Do you understand? So, you know, what we were doing back then is no different than what you're doing today. You're just doing it in a different format. Yeah. But we, you know, because we did a heavy piece on... I think it was uh, Biggie Smalls when he was murdered. We did a really big piece on that, and it resonated with people. And we were invited to go up to Hot 97 mm. when Dre and Ed had their show. So this is this is 1997. We got an invitation to do their show. I remember that. Who's the man soundtrack? <gasps> yeah, man. So, you know, what we wrote, you know, was so powerful that we got an invite, you know, to that show. And we spoke on it. So, you know, my point is, if you're, you know, good at what you do, if you're dedicated and faithful to the craft, the opportunities will open up. You know? I believe it. They, they open up. And again, if, if, if you're committed to your podcast and you got the right people on it, your subject matter is different. You got a different vibe from everybody else. Yeah. Somebody from a bigger platform may just call you up and say, yo, we need you, man. Mm. You know, we're going to take you from God grassroots willing. to, yeah, to a whole other commercial level, man. And, that's how it is, but you got to put the work in there. Absolutely. You got to put the work in. It ain't going to fall in your lap. You understand? That's and, right. You know, if you're not working, man, that's it. J4, J4, J4. It's been a pleasure, my brother. I appreciate your time. This was awesome, man. Mine, yes, sir. Mine, brother. Let's do it again, man. There's, there's still a lot to talk yeah. about, man. It's Latinos. It's hip-hop. Freestyle. We definitely got part two. We got to do a reboot. You I, know I would I mean? love that. And, and, um, you know, continue success, man. I think your Appreciate platform it, is dope. Brother. And I'm, Thank I'm glad you, you're reaching out to the people that you're reaching out to because they yes, have sir. voices too, man. And Absolutely. And on that note, this concludes J40 Podcast Episode 31. It's been a pleasure. Co-Rodriguez, ATW. 
Queens, New York, 40 Thugs, you already know, J40 Podcast, we're grateful, 17 countries, 5 platforms, iHeartRadio, Spotify, just to name a few, yeah, episode 32, coming soon, yeah, Cole Rodriguez, appreciate you my brother. (laughs) 